This is Christopher Scroggins. Y'all give it up. You ready, brother? Are you on? He's almost there. All right, light's green. There All you right, go. There we go. Hey, real quick, I want you guys to, to, to listen to this, okay? So, um, Scroggins here is a missionary, okay? He's a Chi Alpha missionary. And so what that means is that he has decided to do Chi Alpha for his entire life's purpose. Amen? You guys understand that? Okay. So um, what that also means is that he's poor and he's got an old car like you, um, and he'll be hanging out afterwards to eat free food. So I want you guys to come love on him after service and just, you know, love on him. Tell him you appreciate him. And, and here's what I expect. Um, you guys are going to love him as much as we do. So uh, I, you guys, um, do me a favor. If you're not taking notes, get out a pen and a paper and start taking notes because what he's got to say to you tonight is going to be um, especially purposeful for, for some of you in here tonight. So um, if you're not taking notes, take notes. If you are taking notes, take notes. <laughs> Amen? All right. Love you guys. Go for it. All right. Thanks, Heath. Can you all hear me all right? I've never worn one of these before. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm giving a TED Talk. So I feel like I should be wearing like a black turtleneck and talking about, I don't know, iPhones. Um, and then to make, make sure I don't talk too long, I... Um, I usually turn on a timer, right? And uh, apparently one of my children set my timer to go off in 31 hours. So I'm really glad that I checked that. I'll be really annoyed tomorrow, you know? Uh, But yeah, it's so glad. uh, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to be back with y'all. I saw some of y'all at altitude, which was amazing, by the way, right? Mosquitoes and everything, you know? Like, uh, you're like, well, is that the cloud of God? No, it's a cloud of mosquitoes coming to kill us. Anyway, so anybody get a malaria shot before that or after? Yeah? No? No? Okay. Anyway, that's right. I love y'all so much um, because y'all have adopted me and, and I'm so grateful for it to feel like I have a home away from home. Um, I don't know if you know this, but y'all have a Rosas in town and where I come from, we don't have that. And so it's like, I feel like I've entered the promised land, you know? A land flowing not with milk and honey, but tortillas and salsa. And praise God, hallelujah, right? I like y'all so much, in fact, that, I, uh, that I, I'm wearing a fancy shirt for you. Really, really, I, I saw this shirt at Marshall's for $11, and I haven't been able to find a reason to wear it yet. So here I am, right? I hope it's fun. Um, okay, so right now we are in the middle of the, uh, uh, a series, right, where, where we're talking about the environment, for growth, right? Like uh, last week, Heath, I listened on the podcast. Do you all know you all have a podcast? And I don't know if you realize this, but Heath is an excellent preacher, right? He'll never say it, but the man knows how to preach. And sometimes I listen, I'm like, come on, like, how do, how do you do that? Like, it just, anyway, I wonder how much he practices. Um, probably comes natural to him because he's just that cool, right? Um, but uh, Heath talked about how you should find an environment that fosters spiritual growth, right? And when you find that environment, you should stay there, right? And if you're in an environment that doesn't, you should flee that, okay? Now, that was an amazing message. That was incredible. But sometimes this funny thing happens where you're in this perfect environment like ASU's Chi Alpha, right? This is about as perfect as you can get. Um, Sometimes you're in an environment like this and you see people, not you, but other people, that don't grow. Have you ever noticed that? 
So I want to look at, and I want to talk about why do people fall away? Why do people not grow in a good environment? Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about that, and I believe Jesus talks about that. And uh, so we're going to read the scripture first, and then, and then we're going to answer that question. Does that sound good? Okay, so if you have your Bible, to open up to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Um, if you don't have a paper Bible, repent, because the apps, I mean, they, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't cut it. I'm sorry, guys. Like, but anyway, open your fancy Bible app or whatever. Um, everybody there? Okay, here we go. All right. Jesus said, this is in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. All right, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just speak to us, God. You would come and be Lord of our life. Uh, Jesus, we love you so much. We are so grateful for you. We ask that you would just... um, you would speak to our hearts. God, we give you the right. We give you the authority, Lord, to put your finger on things in our lives, Lord, that need to be changed, God. That you would tear down what needs to be teared down, torn down, and you would, you would build up what needs to be built up, God. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you. Speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so Jesus is talking here about two roads. I'm going get, to get some water because I got, like, dry mouth. I drink way too much coffee on the drive over, um, which is not a fun drive. If any of you have made the drive from Huntsville, Texas here, it's, it's not exactly exciting. Some of y'all made a similar drive when you went to altitude, right? Yeah, there's a lot of cows, so that's nice. Um, anyway, um, here we have Jesus. He's talking about these two roads, right? But, but it's kind of interesting. When you're talking about belief systems in the world, right, we statistically speaking, there's, there's a ton of belief systems out there, right? There's, you know, Buddhism, Islam, Baha'i, you know, uh, Hinduism. There's a lot of world religions out there, okay? And if you look down and, you know, break down the statistics here, you'll see that Christianity is actually the largest religion in the world. Praise God. There are about 2 billion people on the planet that claim to be Christian. That's amazing. That's such good news, right? But Jesus here, instead of Jesus saying, hey, there's lots of roads out there, but there's only one good one, Jesus just talks about two roads, right? And so we want to know why is he talking about these two paths? Because we know one is correct and one is not, right? And we want to get on the one that's correct, obviously. Going towards destruction is not a good thing, okay? So when Jesus is talking about these two paths, he talks about a narrow path that is Christianity. We can tell because he's, you know, the way he frames the whole argument. He says, you know, narrow is the road that leads to life, okay? So that narrow path is Christianity. Or I'm going to say it this way. The narrow path is a Christ-centered, submitted, obedient life. The narrow path is a Christ-centered, submitted, obedient life. Right? But what about that wide path? Right? We want to find out about that because we want to make sure we stay away from it. Right? The wide path was actually the first religion in the world besides Christianity. Did you know that? Bet you you didn't. In fact, it's a very, very old religion. Right? This religion, this wide path, 
is a belief system that started at the foot of the fig tree in the Garden of Eden. Okay? This religion, right? Um, I call it humanism. And that's because it has humanity at the center of it. Okay? And notice I didn't say it was at the foot of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. No, it's at the foot of the fig tree. Because if you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they're in paradise and they're in this perfect place. And then the serpent tempts them to take of the fruit that God had forbidden, right? Y'all remember the story from Sunday school with the felt board and all that stuff, right? And then, and then they ran and what did they do? They covered themselves with an apron of fig leaves because they realized they were naked and they were scared. So in that moment, Adam and Eve had realized, hey, I've done something wrong. How do I correct it? And so they decided for themselves how to correct it. And you see, at the center of that, they had themselves. That's why we call this humanism. Okay? Now, some of you that maybe major in philosophy, you'll, you'll be a little bit annoyed with me for saying humanism there. But I need you to just set that aside for a moment because humanism is the proper label for this. Does that make sense? Okay, so the religion of humanism, this idea, it values the happiness of man above everything else, okay? And there's two kind of ways that it does that. One, it'll value happiness either here on earth right now or in an afterlife. But that's the central core, that's the central message, right? Is that it just wants you, the religion of humanism just wants you to be happy, okay? Another name that we call this is, another way that we call this is the religion of hope and fear. Okay? So we're going to talk about the religion of hope and fear or humanism. Okay? Um, When I was in eighth grade, I think it was eighth grade, it might have been ninth grade, my memory gets a little fuzzy, Um, I had a terrifying English teacher. I mean, terrifying, right? Okay, so uh, I believe there's a slide. Yeah, she looked almost exactly like that, except her hair was jet black, okay? She was like maybe five foot tall, maybe weighed 100 pounds. You know, her skin just kind of hung off of her like some kind of weird zombie, you know? Like, and, and she didn't talk. She screeched, you know? Like, have you all seen Lord of the Rings? You know, like when, when the like Nazgul dragon things are flying, they're like, Rah! that's how she sounded when she talked, right? Okay. Also, fun note, that's a great noise to make if you want to terrify your children, okay? Just late at night, they get out of bed, and they're trying to, like, you know, do stuff. You just pop around the corner and go, and then they run straight to bed. They don't get out again. It's great. Um, They're not as close to me as they used to be. I don't understand. Um, Anyway, Ms. Gorman was terrifying, okay? She would, like, if you didn't pay attention in class, her little, like, four-foot frame would jump on top of her desk. I'm not exaggerating. She did this. Jump on top of her desk and would throw things at you. Like, erasers, pens, pencils. It didn't matter. She was going to sling it at you because you weren't paying attention. So it was almost like being in some kind of weird, like, you know, game show, like survival reality TV show. Like, you had to keep your head up, you know. Eyes on swivel, or however that goes. Eyes up, head on swivel. Or both, because you never knew where she was coming from, you know? Ms. Gorman was terrifying. And also, she liked rules, okay? She loved rules more than a German loves rules. I mean, it was crazy, okay? She was super specific. You had to have 
a wide-ruled 70-sheet notebook in which to take notes. You had to have three blue erasable pens, two black erasable pens, one red erasable pen, and one pencil with a pencil sharp. You had, like, it just went on and on, right? Now listen, some of y'all have, have heard me speak, you know, here in, in altitude. You know that I grew up poor, okay? Like, not, not like, oh, I can't, like, uh, get the new, you know, I don't know, what, what's a cool shoe? Like, Yeezys or those things? Like, I can't afford my fancy shoes that my friends think are cool, whatever. Like, not that kind of poor, but like, we, we ate dinner because a box of food was left on our doorstep that afternoon, and that's how we ate, right? That, that kind of poor. So I remember sitting in Mrs. Gorman's class thinking, oh, I can't go affording all kinds of erasable pens. We're poor. If you want to erase something, you write in chalk, right? You know, wipe it off with your hand. What is all this erasable pen mess, right? And I'm just panicking. I'm like, we can't do this. We, I'm, I'm dead. She's going to kill me. She's going to eat me. That's what's going to happen, you know? She's going to yell at me, and I'm going to melt like that Indiana Jones guy, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so, like, I'm terrified. And I go home, and I'm like, Mom, please, I'll do whatever. Like, we can sell my little brother Stephen. I don't care, but I have to get erasable pens, right? And I'm terrified. My mom's like, oh, it'll be fine. Just stop. Just stop panicking. And, and so I had to face the, you know, I go to school. I'm just like, Ms. Gorman, I haven't gotten my stuff yet. And she's like, Rah! you know, and I'm like, oh, God. And, and she just comes after me with all that she has, you know. And so I just endure. And then, thank God, like, the end of the week was, was like the meet the teacher night for the parents, right? And I stayed home. My mom went. I don't know what that woman did to my mother. But she came back and she goes, baby, I'm so sorry. We're going to go to the store right now and we're going to get you all the pens and all the notebooks you need, right? Ms. Gorman was terrifying, right? So sometimes that's how we view God. You ever think about that? Sometimes we see God like that, right? So what happened with Ms. Gorman and myself and my mother, right? My mom's never been the same since right? What happened was we wanted to do what she said to avoid her like yelling at us or throwing things, right? We didn't want her to be mad. We were trying not to make her angry, right? And so that's what the religion of fear is. You do things or avoid things out of fear of punishment. Does that make sense? You do things or avoid doing things out of fear of punishment, right? So the religion of fear can even go by the name of Christianity. Did you know that? I don't go to bars because I don't want God to be mad. I don't lie because I don't want God to punish me. You know, I go to church every Sunday because I don't want to go to hell. But if you notice, the core of that is humanism. The core of it is all about you. You're doing things because you want to be happy either here or in the thereafter. Y'all tracking with me? Right? So this person is the type that like obeys their parents, you know, because they don't want their parents to be mad. In the same way they obey God because they don't want God to be mad, right? This person wants what's best for themselves. It's ultimately a selfish belief system. Do you see how humanity is at the core? Yeah? Okay, the other part of that, the other side of that coin is the religion of hope. Okay? So... I, I can't remember if I've told some of y'all this story. But, um, okay, so my birthday is on Christmas Day, okay? Um, if you're ever around me during Christmas time, I'm sorry. 
I'm not a happy person. Okay, I just, I don't like Christmas. Like one time my daughter found out that I don't like Christmas and she just said, you're dead to me, you know? <laughs> She's nine. She's serious. She hasn't spoken to me since. If someone can talk to her for me, I miss her, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, she, she still loves me, um, thankfully. But uh, so my birthday is on Christmas, so I constantly feel cheated out of things, okay? I constantly feel ripped off, okay? I remember when I was a kid, I'd get like a card from like my great aunt Sally or whatever. You know, we all have a great aunt Sally, right? And, and like in the card, you know, it would be a Christmas card, but she would handwrite, and happy birthday too, you know? And, and then like she'd put five bucks in there. That's $2.50 per holiday. If I want to buy stationery and write her a thank you note for birthday and Christmas and then pay for postage, I'm out. Like I'm, you're giving me negative money, Aunt Sally. Thank you, Right? When I was nine, I so badly wanted a, a remote control car, you know, like one of those RCA cars, like you buy them at Radio Shack, and, and I remember there's one in particular, it could like drive up a wall, flip over, and keep going, and it was like the coolest thing, right? And, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'll ever get it, but I made sure my mom and dad knew that I did want it, right? And I'm just like, I want this car, 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 and you can eventually wear anybody down if you do that enough, right? And... uh so Christmas, we're at, um, we're at my grandparents' house, and I remember I woke up at like 4.45, you know, because that's what kids do during Christmas time, you know. When you have kids during Christmas time, your life is over. It's just, so it's my birthday, and someone else comes and wakes me up super early. Like, I just really don't like Christmas. Anyway, um, so I remember my head popped off that pillow, and I'm like, Christmas, you know, and I'm like, bolting. I mean, like, I'm outrunning light itself. I'm breaking laws of physics. I'm down that hallway. I come around the corner, and do you know what's underneath the Christmas tree, right? It's a box that is suspiciously the same size as a remote control car, and I am pumped. It's got my name on it. I know it's, I know what it is already, you know? I don't even have to shake it. I know what it is, right? And so, you know, I wake up everybody in a very calm and collected manner, as you would rightly assume I would, right? Of course. And so, then I open the present when it's time, you know, and it is the RCA car, the exact one I wanted. It could drive up walls, it could flip over, it could go over ramps, coolest thing ever. And in my head, I was like, if this is what I get for Christmas, what am I going to get for my birthday, right? And I'm so excited, right? And, and I'm just, my, my little nine-year-old mind is just running and running, like, how do you top this, right? And so then, they're like, okay. Christopher, here's your birthday present, and they hand it to me, and I'm so excited, I open it up, and it's the batteries, the batteries necessary to run the car, right? People ask me why I'm cynical all the time. That's why, (laughs) right? Betrayal, it's horrible. So, in my thinking, I thought, I deserve presents, Right? It's my birthday, it's Christmas, I deserve it. I've been a good kid. Okay? In the same way that I thought about presents as a kid, that's kind of how people in the religion of hope think. Okay? They, um, they view God as like a big giant Santa Claus in the sky, right? He's handing out gifts to all the good little girls and boys, right? Oh, you did your prayers today. I'm going to make sure all the traffic lights are green, you know? <laughs> Like, we laugh, but people think like this, okay? These people, the people that, that follow the religion of hope, right, 
they may be intensely religious and do many good things. They're going to be the ones that give the most, and they pray the most, and they help the poor the most because they want God to give them their blessing. How many times have you heard that phrase? But ultimately, the motivation is selfish. The only reason they do these things is for themselves, whether they be blessed in heaven or be blessed here on earth. It's selfishness. It's the religion of humanism, the religion of the fig tree. Jesus described these types as Pharisees. He called them out. The Pharisees are the pinnacle of the religion of hope and fear. They avoided some things. They did some things out of hope of blessing or fear of punishment. Right? They would pray the most on the streets. They, would give the, they even tithe their spices. Do you understand what that means? To tithe the spices? How many of you ever go to the store and buy a packet of taco seasoning and then you portion out with a tweezer your little 10% of it and you're like, that, that is a burnt offering unto the Lord, you know? That's what the Pharisees did. Right? And Jesus is describing them. And he's saying, look at how religious they are. And unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you don't get into heaven. But we know we're not tithing our spice rack, you know. We're not like scooping out like a cup of flour and then a tenth of a cup to Jesus. You know, we're not doing that. You know, it's like pouring one out for your homie. You know, like we don't do that. So how can we be as righteous as the Pharisees? Right? It's because Jesus is talking about their motivation. Their motive is selfish. So that wide path is an environment that looks like a good environment, but it's really not. Do you understand? You won't grow there because your motive is still unrighteous. This is selfishness, right? The unregenerate, unregenerate I put that in there, because I wanted to sound fancy, but I ain't fancy, I can't even say it. The unregenerate man is entirely selfish. The true wide path is nothing but selfishness, right? We seek our own benefit in all things. This is what we call sin. I love that picture. We are the center of the world. Right? So think, think of it like this. Like, why is a thief wicked? Why is a thief wicked? And how do they end up as a thief? Right? It's the same reason. Selfishness. Right? A thief steals from you because he wants your stuff. And he cares about him getting stuff more than he cares about hurting you for taking your stuff. That's selfishness. That's sin. Right? And I can tell you because I have five kids, and I've heard a lot from children, no child ever thinks, I can't wait to grow up and become a thief. Right? And you're laughing because it's ridiculous, I agree, right? No kid says, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be a thief. Right? Because it's the selfishness. Now let me ask you this. What is the difference between your selfishness in the religion of hope and fear and the selfishness of a thief? Is there one? You're just trying to get something for free out of Jesus. 
You understand? Okay, but what about that narrow path, right? There's something interesting about that narrow path is that Jesus says there's a small gate. It's not enough to be on the narrow path, but you've got to pass through that narrow gate. And I want to talk about that briefly, okay? So, that narrow gate is the thing that stops, I believe, most people from truly growing. They'll be in the perfect environment, and they actually won't have entirely selfish motives, but they can't make it through that narrow gate. We were missionaries overseas for two years in the Czech Republic, and I saw it there as much as I saw it in the 15 years I was a campus minister at Sam Houston State. It's always the same. Every culture around the world, right? So here's the narrow gate. Here's how you get through that narrow gate. It's having God at the center of your life. Right? That's, that's the narrow path. That's the small gate. Right? Is having God be the center of your life. Right? It's, it's essential that you put God there at the center of your life because he is the most qualified for it. Right? In the same way that a thief will try and steal something from you in that moment to satisfy a momentary desire, right? And ruin the rest of his life after he gets arrested, right? In that same way, we do that thing all the time. You ever think about it? Sin is kind of like a credit card, you know? It's like you, you just charge it right now, but later on, that debt will catch up to you. Isn't that crazy? So we're charging... Sin on our little credit cards of life, right? Because we're dumb. We don't see the depth or the impact of what we do, but God does. You understand that? God sees it. He is more wise than you are. And he is more good than you are. So he deserves to be at the center of your life. Okay? Now, that's the gate. That's the key. Now, why am I taking so much time to explain something that I'm sure most of you already know, right? It's because sometimes, sometimes that selfish motive still creeps in. And it creeps in in a very sneaky way. And I, wanted, I want to talk about that really quickly with you right now, okay? So, the, the shift becomes when God is the center of your life because of what he does and not who he is, Did you notice how I said God should be at the center of your life because he is good and he is wise? Not because of anything he does. Okay, so what does this look like? All right, we're going to run through a couple scenarios that are a little bit ridiculous, but just bear with me, okay? So a lot of what I heard on on campuses both here and overseas, I I heard a lot was, uh, you know, um, I used to love God, but but I don't anymore. I used to walk with God, but I don't anymore because something happened to me, you know, like bad thing, blah, 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 you know, like my dog got run over by a tractor. I don't know. And, and I just felt like God didn't love me anymore. Okay? Do you understand what the thinking is behind that? So let's put this in, in kind of a relationship that's easier to kind of wrap our minds around instead of some kind of cosmic, infinite, eternal thing, right? All right, so um, imagine girls... That you have a boyfriend that just loves you so much, right? 
every, every day he writes you the most beautiful, like, poems in love letters. I mean, even William Shakespeare would be like, dang, that's good, you know? And, like, all night as you're sleeping, he's stacking up the most wonderful gifts that you could ever dream of having, you know? Like, I don't know what girls like, Meg Ryan movies and nail polish. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't, I just don't. Um, right? It's like, oh, a new DVD of 27 dresses. You know, I don't know. Like, just all, all night, he's stacking up gifts, right? And he just loves you so much, and he always says the right thing and makes you feel so wonderful because he loves you. Does that give him, give him the right to tell you how to live? Does that give him the right to say, I don't, I think, uh, yeah, change your hair. Ooh. Sounds like some people are having some PTSD flashbacks right there, like. One of the girls over here just made a face that was like, oh, no, uh-uh, I will cut him. Um, I'll get those scissors, and I'll pretend like I'm going to cut my hair, and I'll cut him. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Girl power, you do you. Um, right? Or let's say, let's say, um, let's say we're, uh, guys, let's say you have a girlfriend that's powerful. She's like a power lifter. I don't know, right? We're just going to run with this. <laughs> Trying to be equal. I don't want to pick on the girls. Maybe I should have started with the guys and then gone with the girls. Anyway, so guys, you're dating a power lifter now, okay? Like, uh, like a female Arnold that you really like for some reason, you know? And she's like, yeah, I love you so much, <laughs> you know? You know? Come with me if you want to leave. I don't know. She's Christian, I guess. Um, but like, she's powerful, right? And like, anybody who tries to mess with you, she just punches them so hard their grandmother falls over, right? She's like strong. She can protect you. She's like picking up cars when you're trying to walk across the street, right? She's defending you from everything, right? Aside from feeling a little bit emasculated, does that would that give her the right to tell you how to dress? Maybe. I mean, she could just rip you in half, I guess. Like, I don't like those pants. It's so she, girly man. Um, no. Um, but no, that would not give her the right to tell you how to live. Right? It didn't give her the right to say anything to you. Okay? And another one I hear is like, I love God and I follow God and I serve Jesus because he saved me. I want to tell you a little story. Okay, I'm full of stories tonight. This one does not involve a female bodybuilder. Um, when, when I was 10, I got an autoimmune disease, right, that is super, super rare. I almost died. I spent two and a half weeks in a hospital. I was 10 years old, and I got down to 20 pounds. During the middle of that, every day, the doctor would sit down with my parents and say, Get ready and prepare yourself. Your son is probably not going to make it the next 24 hours. Right? Crazy. So this disease I had has a terrible name. It's called Kawasaki's disease, right? So it's just like, what happened? Did you ride too many jet skis, you baby? Get out of bed, right? It was not like that. I was poor. I didn't even ride a jet ski till I was 20. Anyway, um, it was a sad life. Anyway, um, so I had this disease where the antibodies and the white blood cells were attacking the wall of my heart, right? And it's a very simple fix. All I need is a high dose of steroids to depress the immune system until everything comes back under control. But nobody could figure out what was going on. My kidneys were failing. My liver was failing. 
All of it, right? Until this one doctor came along, Dr. Walker. I'll never forget her. Um, because I was a huge Star Trek fan, huge Star Trek nerd. Um, I watched, like, The Next Generation every night it was on, right? And I remember she walked in and she had a badge, right? Starfleet badge. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, right? Little 10-year-old me. And um, I remember she told me, if you get out of this, I'm going to give you this badge. The day you walk out of the hospital, I'm going to give this to you. And she did, right? That woman, Dr. Walker, Dr. Rebecca Walker, saved my life. She's the one that found the disease, noticed the symptoms, and prescribed the cure. She saved me. But does that give her a right to tell me not to be a missionary? No. It doesn't. So when we say, I love God, God has a right on my life. God has the right to be the center of my life because he loves me or because he's powerful or because he saved me. Those are wrong. Some of us are thinking that way. And I'm here to tell you, when the storms of life come and the waves crash against your house, if that's your foundation, your house will fall. Right? So the reason why is it looks like this, right? You're going through this stuff and, and like life is starting to hit you, right? And, and bad things happen, you know? And then you say, God, you, you saved me then. Why aren't you saving me now? Or God, you loved me then. Why aren't you loving me now? God, you're powerful. I know you can stop this. Why aren't you doing it now? And God's right on your life ends because you have perceived the action or attribute that you love him for, the attribute that gave him the claim on your life, that stopped. So, so has the right he has on your life. Do you follow? It's so sneaky, isn't it? It's so sneaky. This is the major reason you see kids in the church just walk away from Jesus. It's because they love God for what he does and not for who he is. Do you understand how good and just and perfect Jesus is? The only proper answer to who has a right on your life, who sits on the throne of your heart, the only proper answer is Jesus. God's name is I am. He is good. He is wise. He is holy. His authority and his value is founded in his character. When bad things happen to you, God's character does not change. He will meet you in the circumstance. He will meet you in the suffering. And like Job's friends, he sits next to you and he rends his clothes and he weeps with you. I can, I can attest to it over and over in my life. You, if you love God for who he is, will choose him in every circumstance because of who he is. If you choose God because of what he does, it will not carry you through life. And do you understand that's why Jesus is the perfect man? Think, think back to the temptation of Christ, right? The temptations of Christ, right? Right? The devil tempted him with provision. God calls himself Jehovah Jireh, the provider, right? And the devil tempted him, love God because he provides. And then the devil tempted Jesus. He said, love God because of what he will bless you with, the authority of all the world, the selfishness, 
You understand? Love God because he'll protect you. Cast yourself off this great height. Love God because he'll protect you. But every time Jesus rebuked him, because Jesus knew the only reason to follow God, the only reason for God to have a right on his life was God himself. And that's why Jesus is presented as the perfect man, the sacrifice for sin. He's the one that can lead you down the narrow path and through the small gate because he's done it. A couple weeks ago, Heath talked about uh, Jesus being the door. I'm the door. I'm the gate. And there's an illustration he used that, that I don't think will ever leave me. He talked about the shepherd would sleep at the entrance of the sheep pen, the sheep gate. And the only way that anybody got in or out is over his body. Jesus loves you so much. The only way you get in or out is over his body. Isn't that incredible? So, everything can be summed up. This whole sermon can be summed up in this one statement. Right? The question is, how do we keep from falling away or dying spiritually in a perfect environment? How do we keep ourselves from doing that? Right? Well, I've just presented to you these, these two paths, and some of them have these external entrapments that, that look very similar to what I think Christianity is, right? We're all thinking this, and we're all kind of frustrated, right? Like, well, then what's the answer? Here's the answer. You ask yourself this question. Why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? So how do you make sure that you will grow when you're in the good environment? Why do you do the things you do, and who do you do them for? This is what Jesus asked himself when he was tempted. This is what you need to ask yourself. Why am I doing this, and who am I doing this for? So if the band could make their way back up. So there's some, some of us here, right, where everybody, you know, everybody has a throne on their heart, right? We're made to worship. Everyone has something that the life revolves around. My my thesis is that Jesus is the only thing that's worthy of being there because he's the most qualified. He's the best, wisest choice to have on the throne of your heart. But some of us, maybe we've been going to church all our lives. Maybe we haven't. Maybe, maybe we're one of those, you know, kind of new agey people who's like, oh, I'm just a good person. I'm nice to everyone around me, right? You're in the religion of hope and fear. You know, maybe yourself is still on the throne of your heart. You're doing everything for the benefit of you. I want to look good in front of people. I want God to bless me. I don't want God to punish me. Maybe that's you. You know? Or maybe, maybe some of us have made an idol out of one of God's attributes. Maybe on the throne of our heart is a sculpture of God's heart. Or a sculpture of God's mighty arm. Because we only follow God because of what he does and not who he is. So this front area is going to be an altar. It is an altar. 
It'll continue to be one. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and I know he is right now, I want to invite you to come up here. Okay? I want you to be brave and stand up and come down here and knock over the idols that are on the heart, on the throne of your heart. Those people, those of you that are selfish and still have yourself and your humanist religion, the religion of hope and fear, I want you to step off the throne of your heart. I want you to come to the front, get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry that I've usurped your throne. I've taken your place in my foolishness. And you get off the throne and you take off that crown and you cast it on the ground and you invite Jesus. Say, Lord, you sit here. I will never take it again. You are more worthy than I. And then there's others that we've made an idol out of God's attributes. And you need to come to the front and you need to tear them down. You need to get on your knees and begin to understand who God is. And you need to come up and you need to ask for revelation of who he is. Because you don't understand him. He's just that good luck charm to you. It wasn't good enough for the Israelis, for the Israelites to change the actions, but they had to go to the high places and overturn and cast down the idols and smash them and burn them. So as the band plays a song, when the band starts, I want you to come up. Come to the front. Life group leaders, if you see somebody in your life group, come with them, pray with them. If you don't know any, or if you don't understand anything that I've said, why don't you find me, find Heath, find one of the leaders, and we'll talk to you about who this Jesus person is and why he's so important. Okay? So let's pray.